All right, we'll begin there in verse 16. It says, For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was born to him, was born to him by the majestic glory. This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice born from heaven. For we were with him on the holy mountain. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed. To which you will do well to pay attention. As to a lamp shining in a dark place until day dawns. And the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this first of all. That no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So we see here, uh, like last week I was talking about this living hope that we have. And this living hope actually was a person, Jesus Christ. And because of this living hope that we have in Jesus Christ, we get this inheritance that's that's not corruptible, that it can't be defiled, that it's unfading. And, and we receive this because God had caused us to be born again in his great mercy. And then also First Peter goes on and into to that very same book, and he tells us in chapter 3, uh, verse 15, that we are to always be prepared to, to give an, a, a, an apologia, a, a defense, a reason for why we believe what we believe. What, what is the hope? We need to have reasons for that and so luckily enough we we don't serve and read and study and and observe things that are without logic and reason right there's a, a large faith element but it's it's grounded in reasonable faith right we have reasonable faith our faith is logical and and and, and we hear folks all the time with this unreasonable faith in things right and this illogical faith in things and so I mean there's many denominations out there and which they have zero archaeology findings at all there's actually on YouTube you can watch it it's on the historical stuff and and they'll ask this one guy that's down in the Aztec and they say hey the book of this book says that uh there should be all these artifacts around this era and uh and bronze done in this time and the guy just looks up and he says there were no beasts of burden i don't know what you're talking about nothing's ever been found and then they go over to in the bible times and they're they're at the wall and he's like i've heard that somewhere around 8070 you know this book claims that walls fell and uh is there any proof of that and the guy looks up at him and he says you're standing on the rubble and, and so it's going back and forth, back and forth between this one book that claims to be a message of Jesus Christ and then the Bible that claims to be a message of Jesus Christ. And, and every time you go to this other side, the guy scratches his head and says, doesn't exist. We have zero artifacts. There's no such thing. It's never been uncovered. There was no bronze made at the time. But every time you go to the other side that's talking about the Word of God, the Bible, there's always something very simple where the guy just says, you're standing on the rubble. Or he goes and he finds this other guy and he's like, oh, I see you've been digging there. And how many years did it take you to, to find that coin and, or any coins? Where do you expect to find anything from the era, you know, that Jesus was around? And the guy takes this little cigar or shoebox and he's got several coins in there. And he goes, oh, how many years? And the guy goes, that's just been since this morning. We have good, reliable proof, right? And, 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 and the word of God. So it's not something that you just have to go, I just feel the burning in my bosom that it's true. Or relying on your emotions. And so during this, I, I may ask questions. And so uh, answer them. Let's not make them rhetorical. So go ahead and just answer them. So, I mean, because how many in here know that our emotions fail us? They do, right? Does anyone believe where it says our hearts are deceitfully wicked? Who can know it? Right? And our minds play tricks on us. And we can convince ourselves of things uh, that we might not ought do. You know? And we, and we get away from doing things that we should do. Matthew 18 is a very popular one. You know, people are, they know, they know, they know. They come to you for biblical advice. What should I do about this situation? 
And us, as, the, as that momentary counselor, are just like, go to them. And they give you every excuse why they can't, right? Their, their minds are talking about, but I can't because, but I can't because, but I can't because. But the Bible says do. So you just do it. You just, you know, and so, but then when the counselor becomes the one asking, it kind of turns around. Well, but it's different for me. So we kind of work things like that. But, but anyway, so back to the point, right? The, 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 what Peter is saying here is a, is a good apologetic, right? Whenever people ask about the inspiration of the Bible, the, uh, the infallibility of the Bible and, and the inerrancy of the Bible, we go to many places, but a couple of the most popular places are right here, 1 Peter 1, 16, 21, uh, 16 through 21, and we go to, to 2 Timothy 3, 15 through uh, 16. And so we, we really want people to know about the inspiration of the Bible and where it come from. And, and so there's this word that we use, uh, a couple of words, verbal plenary. And, uh, and so the verbal part is all the words are from God. And the plenary part is they're all of equal value, right? And so even the genealogy. And so we, as church, and, and, and I've talked to our pastors, our elders, we have this view of inerrancy. That it's all of the words are God's words. And that every one of them carry equal value. Do they all translate to application equally? No, but they are of equal value, right? And so, uh, so that's a very important distinction because genealogies that we read, those are usually the ones when we start to fade on our Bible reading plan. If you start in Genesis and go to Revelation, you get into those things and you're like, start dozing. Uh, you get into numbers, you start dozing. Uh, but those carry just the same amount of value and weight as uh, the story of Jesus coming in riding on a donkey and they're yelling Hosanna, right? And so, but there's different applications for it. Uh, but so that's the way that we view inspiration at Providence Church, myself, our pastors, and probably each and every one of you. So I watch a lot of videos and I, I watch a lot of uh, uh, Vody Bauckham and, and uh, Ravi Zacharias and, and some folks you may like, some folks you may not. And like these debates that go back and forth between atheism and Christianity and Christianity and uh, Islam and, and uh, Mormonism. And, and so all of that, you know, and I think it's important that we have some of that uh, so that we have a reasoned defense, right? Not that you need to be able to be an expert and quote all these things, but in your everyday walking around, the average person that doesn't believe in the Bible has got a whole lot more study and thinking done on why they don't believe it than what we have in why we do believe it. And so we need to have a reason response. Even at Jacksonville College in my geology class, there were all the students in my class were Christians and they had been Christians for a while. And whenever he said, started talking about creation and he didn't reveal to us which way he leaned, until the end of the class, which him being an elder at a local church, uh, I kind of had an idea. <laughs> but uh, uh, versus creation versus evolution. And so, uh, but there was some kids when he would go through and they just would say things like, I just believe off blind faith. And with no reason and, and would get frustrated and angry whenever this one person in our class who believe in a more theistic evolution type of a process had all this evidence and had done all this research and they just got frustrated and said, but it's just this way because I just believe it. We don't have to be, have those answers like that, right? Uh, we can be like uh, this guy here, Peter. Uh, most of us identify with him better, like what I said last week, because he's the one that's a, a bit more vocal. Uh, he's made more mistakes. And so, we usually identify with a guy like this. But here's a, here's a powerful statement that I, I heard uh, Vody Baca made. And I was like, oh, that's so good. I, I don't want to rip off a lot of his sermon and his talk. And, and, uh, but some of it's got to be here because it's just good. That's what this text is about. So this is what he said. Uh, when he's asked why I choose to believe the Bible, his response was, because it's a reliable collection of historical documents written down by eyewitnesses during the lifetime of other eyewitnesses that report to us supernatural events that took place in fulfillment of specific prophecies 
and claim that their writings are divine rather than human in origin. That's pretty good, right? How, how could you read that and be like, well, I'm going to preach on that sermon. I'm not including that. If I had that and I didn't include it, I feel like I'd be holding back something really good, right? That's a, that's a golden nugget. You just say that to some, if you memorize just that phrase and someone's trying to talk to you about the cosmological argument or the ontological argument or whatever these other arguments are, and you just blow that out there at them, well, here's why I believe in the Bible, because it's a historical collection of, you know, and you just start rolling that. They might think twice before they keep on pressing any questions, right? Now, if they do, you know, and a lot of times they do, they want to prove the existence of God and then they want to talk about the Bible and so we're responsible for all of that, you know, and so they have all these different arguments, and they're called the cosmological argument, and the ontological argument, and the teleological argument, and so they just deal with complexity and how things move from from uh, from order to chaos or chaos to order. You got to figure out which way do they move, right? And so, and the fact that our universe is finely tuned, and and it just seems like it's made that way, right? And, and so, and. Some simple things, maybe you could just, uh, they did a test where someone flung some pebbles and super slow-mo cameras and every one of those pebbles all spins the same way and the same speed and all of that. But for some reason, our universe does not do that. Some things spin backwards and some things spin this way and that way and this way and galaxies and everything. It's as if they were made to do that and not just flung out from a bang. Did y'all know that? Y'all knew that? Just go ahead. And so, I mean, yeah. And so, I mean, that's a pretty cool, just that little bitty things like that, you know, and it lets people know, hey, I, I'm not just, just going with blindness, just saying, yeah, I just believe. But so Paul, uh, Peter here is talking, he, he wants to address this, right? Because it's not just now that people are going, I mean, if you're on Facebook or if you're on any social media site, and you're part of anything, and you bring up anything about faith or abortion or anything like that, uh, you're going to get attacked. It doesn't matter. And so, and I'm not telling you you got to be brave or anything like that, but you're going to get attacked. And what you're going to get attacked and things you're going to hear are things like, I can't believe in you, you believe in through the, the fairy in the sky and stuff like that. Just a simple, on my Facebook page, it shows Midwestern Seminary will has ads on my page. And probably because I put my application in to go there, right? And so, because uh, everybody's watching you. So, but anyway, it's, so I get those ads and I just put on there, hey, just submitted my, my application the other day. And what do I see in the, that line is just one guy who's just copied and pasted his response on everyone saying anything about Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. Um, I can't believe you follow, would follow an imaginary fairy in the sky. Uh, get real with real facts and, and just would copy and paste that on every response. Even mine that just said, hey, applied the other day, look forward to attending in, in the fall. Same guy, you know, and I'm like, so that's what people think today. Imagine, imaginary, made up, fairy in the sky. And what they thought back then, imaginary, made up, fairy in the sky, you know, that kind of thing. And, and they also, this other idea of, I don't know if y'all have ever heard of these other uh, gods from the Roman gods, the Greek gods, the Egyptian gods, the Hermes and Mercury and Zeus and Aphrodite, a sun god, a moon god, a water god, a fertility god, an agricultural god, you know, a river god, and, and just all these different things. And, and here Peter's like, look, I want you to know. Uh, and he says before verse 16 that his his time is coming, right? He's getting ready to die. Because uh, he, he says in verse 14, since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon. So he has an idea that he's going to die pretty quickly. And But he wants to make sure that they understand these things. So he writes immediately, we do not follow cleverly devised myths. People thought that what they were saying was just some made up stuff. And, 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 and he wanted to debunk that. This is not about that. There's, It's not the moon and the sun got together in a romantic way and then out came the earth that which some people believed you know and it's not that it, it's uh it, this was made by god and and so uh peter does what what you would do if you 
there. He's, look, what we made known to you, what we have told you, what you've maybe said to someone else about factual events that's happened in your life. I saw it. We saw it, you know, and, and so uh, and so he goes to say that. But um, they actually believed in these fables and these tales and these stories. And and so Peter wants to make concretely sure we're not following these. We don't have backstory to help support a backstory. This is not the Harry Potter, you know, uh, uh, however, however many are in that and or the Shreks or, you know, all that stuff that's in Star Wars. has got so many movies now. And so they got backstories to backstories to backstories to backstories. And, and so, I mean, uh, Peter said, we don't, we, this is not cleverly devised like that. We didn't make this up. This, this is not one of those things where we got to say, okay, the earth is on the shoulders of Atlas. And this is how that works out. And he's a God that does. No, the waves come in in this way because this God does that. Uh, Peter, no, none of that is what we're talking about here. And, and Jesus it, we saw him with our eyes. And so the Bible is not a myth, right? Remember the, the, the sentence from Vodi Bakum, the a reliable collection of historical documents. The Bible is not a myth. Uh, it, it, it's a different kind of a history book than any other book on the planet. Uh, it's a different kind of a book that's ever been written ever uh, because there is the supernatural involved in it that's true. And that it's the very word of God. Totally different from any other book. But it is a historical book, right? Uh, even, even Bart Ehrman, who's a, a, a very, uh, he's a skeptic to the, I mean, all the way. And whenever atheists say, you can't prove that Jesus existed. Even Bart Ehrman, who studied with a, a, a Metzger, uh, says, oh, no, 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 Shh, atheists, don't say that. That's untrue. It's really easy to prove that Jesus existed, Right? And so uh, he, he tries to, to squelch the enthusiasm of the atheists that just want to say, Jesus never existed. And it, this guy that's very, very scholarly, very, very wrong in his conclusions, but very, very scholarly, even knows that, oh, no, 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 there's way the evidence is overwhelmingly in support that Jesus did exist. And that the people that believed that he was the Messiah existed. And that people that didn't believe that he was the Messiah believed that he existed during the same time. So you kind of can't go there. And so he's been really trying to rally the agnostic and the atheist troops to let's go a different route. Instead of saying that Jesus didn't exist, let's just cut this idea that he did miracles. Let's cut this idea that he, he wasn't married, you know, or something like that. But he wants to go a different route to try to discredit the Bible. So far, none of it's working, uh, but he's trying, you know, and so, and the cool thing is the more you study the Bible, I think it starts getting into you and the word of God will penetrate the heart. If God has caused you to be born again, then you will be born again, even if your name is Bart Ehrman, right? Uh, it don't matter what your name is or what you think you believe. If God causes you to be born again, you will be born again. And so, uh, so that's my prayer for Bart Ehrman. And then he can be like a, uh, a Paul in our day for us, right? Because what was Paul in those days? The greatest opposition to the word of God, Jesus, the Bible, uh, what the New Testament was claiming. He's big time with the Old Testament, right? But, uh, but what we talked about earlier, uh, he found out that what, what he really had wasn't worth a whole lot. But then whenever he switches sides, isn't this an area that an attorney would love? To have somebody that was totally an opponent against what you were trying to offer. And then all of a sudden, you got this guy that changes sides. And not just like little squirrely guys that don't matter a whole lot, you know. But, uh, but like big guys in the faith that matter a whole lot. To have them swap sides and then be this responsible for the amount of writings that are inspired in the Bible that God used his pen to write. I'd want that guy, please testify, keep testifying. I want you to keep testifying, testify again, come back and be on the stand anytime you want to. Uh, thank you for your help, right? So we want guys like that. Uh, so in this day, and we've got guys like that, right? Uh, that were these big, huge, ardent atheists that then become Christians. You mentioned one this morning, Henry Lee, right? Uh, that was down there questioning Livingston, and then the Lord did a work on his heart, you know, caused him to be born again. 
uh, and we have lots of stories like that. Now, conversely, we do have some stories where there are some quasi-popular folks that have even written some books that have gone the opposite direction. And, uh, but we know that it's not because they were saved and lost it. Uh, they were never saved to begin with, right? One of the more recent ones that comes to your mind might be Josh Harris or Joshua Harris, right? And that, that kind of stings a little bit because we kind of like the things that he wrote and the things that he stood for. And then now he's come out to say, but he wasn't a Paul, you know, so I'm like, all right, all right. So, but, but it's not like a, I think a, maybe Doug or, or Jason brought it up that it's not like a kind of a tit for tat kind of a thing where it's these two equal opposing forces, good, evil, God, Satan, you know, that's not it. Like we're keep, oh, we lost Josh Harris, but we still got, you know, that's, that, it's not that. This ain't basketball. Y'all got Manute Bowl. We got Ralph Sampson. That, that ain't it. We take all of our humongous problems, everything that we have to a, a God that looks at them and, and they're just like teeny tiny. Don't matter. Our problems, when you think about a God, is that they're small problems. They're not that big a deal. They don't matter. Because our God is, is an amazing God. And there's nothing that we're going to come across that's new to Him. Maybe new to us. But it's not even going to be new in a group of this amount of people. Someone in here is going to be like, yeah, I've been through that. Here's what you need to do. Right? Or I have a cousin's nephew who's been through that. Or something to that effect. But it's not going to be new in the room no matter what it is we go through. It may be new to us. It might be new to our tiny small group. We expound that group of people that, you know, somewhat might be a fingernail, some are a shoulder, some are a finger, but we're all part of the one body. And uh, uh, see how I gave fingernail a good part there. Uh, but, but we're all part of one body and, and we're there to help one another out. So when we hear of things and we come up and we say, hey, let me tell you what, I, I don't have firsthand experience, but I know someone that does. Even that helps, right, to, to know that, um, that we're not alone. And so that's very important. So when you think about it, so what kind of gods are being worshipped today? What kind of little G gods, right, are being worshipped today? Um, you ever heard of that thing called the secret? Where they think they got some kind of secret, right? Does, does that make sense to y'all? Have y'all anybody done any reading on that? I have not. I just kind of glimmered, what do you call that? Just surface checked it out and was like, that seems kind of dumb. You know, what you put out, what you get back, and all that kind of stuff. What? Reciprocal. Isn't that used by a lot of prosperity gospel type people? Send that tithe check in. That seed money. I mean, you start listening to uh, to late night TV, you're going to get really acquainted with the word seed. We ain't talking about the mustard seed neither, right? Uh, But... But it's there. And so, but it's all going to be part of that. And so it's what you put out, you kind of get back. It's all reciprocal. And it's this big deal and people worship it. And it's just not that way. What else are some of the things that we worship these days? We put people up on stands, right? That we kind of worship them. We give movie stars platforms as though they know more than us. Or there's some kind... I mean, go play your make-believe thing on your little tel- television stuff that we pay crazy money to watch. And then just, you know, be quiet. You're playing, you're, my kids play those games, you know, and so that we make up stories. When st- but don't come out as though you're an authority on anything else. But they do, and people believe it and champion it and say, oh, because... Phoenix, whatever, River Phoenix, or the one of the Phoenix guys, you know, said that we need to stop drinking milk because it's being mean to cows. You know, we, I'm like, really? And come on. But people worship that, and people think it's, you know, uh, just don't. But that's who the gods of the day are. And then we got uh, athletes and politicians how you could put a politician there, I have no clue. But people do, as though they can do no wrong. And I'm like, really? You ever watch anything by them? You ever see that they have a pulse? 
that tells you right there they do something wrong. Uh, but but so we still have gods today, and and then probably the one that messes us all up the most is from time to time, even Christians might make some mistakes in our own lives and elevate ourselves in some form of idolatry, and uh, and so we might spend a little time tooting our own horn, worshiping our own self, uh, but some folks do it a whole lot. And, uh, and think that they just, they're, they're the greatest thing since. And uh, so there's all kinds of other little G gods that are even worshipped today, just like they were back in those days. Um, I even got a friend, sad to say, that, you know, is the Valhalla guy that believes in Thor and Odin and all that. And, and I just think to myself, that's an unreasonable faith, is it not? That is a illogical faith, uh, kind of like the one about the aliens, right? What's that one called? The Scientology or something? Uh, you know, that one's kind of crazy too. You know, you're just like, really, really. And even the guy wrote in his little book that he's just going to make up a religion. You know, <laughs> kind of did. And then now it's you know it's studied and worshipped. But anyway, so there, there's all kinds of stuff out there that's still doing that today. And Peter's making clear for them at this time, these folks that are that are in the dispersion, these folks that that have uh, obtained a faith of equal standing with ours that he's talking about from chapter one. Right. The ones that he's saying, I'm going to I'm going to remind you all of this from time to time while I'm still here. So I just and then I want to get you all settled that what I'm telling you is not. I haven't cleverly devised this out. This is not a fable. This is not a tale. This is not a myth. Um, what I'm telling you is true, and, and it's uh, I've eyewitnessed it. So uh, the Bible is not a myth. It is historical and has eyewitness testimony. And prophecies from the past have been fulfilled. And so he, he goes on to talk about that. And, uh, and so, like I said earlier, a lawyer would see this, this thing of where Paul comes into the courtroom and you say, hey, sir, what, what did you do before? Well, I was a persecutor of the Christian faith, and I used to carry letters from town to town saying who I was and, and uh, in order to catch and uh, persecute and kill those that were following this guy, Jesus, that wasn't true. And, uh, and so, but who are you now? Well, now uh, I met that Jesus guy that I didn't think was true on a road, and he told me I had a task, and my task is going to hurt. It's going to be painful. Uh, and, and, and I'm, I'm going to take it to people that I didn't originally care about the Gentiles. Yeah, judge, we'll keep this one as a witness. You know, it's, it's a, it was a pretty easy thought, you know? And so, um, and, and another thing, so number two, if you're, you're keeping letters or accounts or whatever, uh, letter A was the Bible is not a myth. Uh, that's the first point. Second point is eyewitness accounts can't be myths, Right. If, if you witness things with your eyes, if you see them, they're not made up, right? Unless you're on a pretty strong hallucinogenic. But, uh, but, it, it, but it, it, can multiple people see hallucinogenic? No, because there's actually a theory about that that comes from 1 Corinthians 15 when all the people see Jesus at one time in his resurrected state. Someone threw out the stick to the wall. Hallucination and a lot of other doctors with any couple of pieces that bounce together up in their head said impossible <laughs> and, and and it is impossible and so uh uh but eyewitness accounts uh, they can't be myths uh, matter of fact there's some of the most powerful testimony that you could get in a courtroom right uh whenever it's accurate if you wear glasses that are you know like me i can still see pretty well but some folks got like you know the glasses that are yay thick and uh, and their their vision's kind of blurry. And if they say, I was looking out my window and uh, and this so-and-so happened and did you have your glasses on, right? They're going to want to know that. Is your prescription up to date? Uh, they're going to want to know that. But I mean, so there's all kinds of, but yeah, I had my glasses on. Yeah, I was fully awake. I had my one and a half cups of coffee. I was good to go. I had a Pop-Tart. I was ready. Uh, fixing to turn on Young and the Restless, and boom, looked out my window and saw that. But so, I mean, yeah, I was ready. I was awake. I was ready to be informed of the day and watch my stories or whatever. 
And then this happened clear as day, and I saw it. We'll take that witness, right? We want that witness. And here's, here's Peter, and he's saying not only, not just me, but we saw him. We were with him. We're making him known, talking about Jesus. And, and he speaks of the Mount of Transfiguration, where not only does he see this change that is made in Jesus, he doesn't mention uh, the folks that he sees there with Jesus in this passage, but we know from Luke that that occurred, right? And so, uh, but he here just mentions that, that we saw him on this mountain. And then we heard this voice born from heaven. And so it wasn't like Jesus doing, you know, the, throwing his voice or anything. Uh, it wasn't the, what's that called when the guy has a little puppet, you know, ventriloquism. He wasn't doing that and throwing it. It wasn't that. It was a voice born from heaven that said, this is my beloved son. Uh, you'll be, be uh, pleased to follow him, uh, whom I'm well pleased. And so he's, he's saying, we heard this, we saw that. And he's using the words that indicate plural witnesses, right? That saw this event and heard those things. And we know, because we have 1 Corinthians 15, right? That confirms some other eyewitness accounts. And so um, Paul says that uh, he came and he saw the 11 and then he saw this and and then he saw over 500 at one time, most of whom are still alive, although some have fallen asleep. Uh, and then he says, and lastly, he appeared to me. That's a pretty large number. 500 people at one time, most of whom are still alive. I mean, you would think that probably around this writing, probably some of them were still alive. And there, if it would be false, that someone would come out and say, that's not true. We don't have that. We have corroboration, but we don't have anything saying that didn't occur like that. Matter of fact, we have kind of the opposite of that, where we have people like Josephus and other historians that say, there are an awful lot of Christians that are saying that they saw Jesus resurrected. I mean, I'm not a follower of Jesus. I'm a Jewish guy, but I, I mean, but they say that and I'm here, I'm living. We kind of have stuff like that, right? That kind of helps out the reasonable faith and the cause and to believe that, yes, Jesus was resurrected from the dead. Um, but you only have to, to be an eyewitness is the best testimony that there is. And, and you only have to share a little bit with folks that have those doubts, right? It's like, look, they saw it. They saw, it's there. It's kind of like with us. Um, in order for me to prove to you that I was born, I could produce my birth certificate. I have it, but those can be faked. I could even get my mom and, and uh, the few people that were around whenever I was born to sign an affidavit to say that they witnessed me being born. Right? And that's eyewitness testimony. That's still pretty powerful, but they could lie, right? Just a couple of them, they could lie. But what's the best evidence that I was born? I'm right here talking, right? What's the best evidence that the Bible is what it says it is? Because we have it right here. We have physical copies of it. Uh, what's the best evidence that I've been born again? Because I have the Spirit right here. And, and we can feel it. We know it. It it's, it's makes big difference in our lives. And so uh, that's very important. And, and then, uh, so he goes on to say a, a couple other things here. Uh, that the, the voice was born... From majestic glory. This is not something that happens on a daily basis, right? We hear things in the sky, but they're usually jets. We don't hear God's voice from heaven. So that would be a unique thing, right? Uh, and not only did it happen at least once during the time of the apostles, it happened twice. So they weren't confused on what it was, right? They were pretty clear at the, at the baptism and then in the transfiguration. You hear this voice. is like, oh, I recognize that voice. So the second time, you're like, okay. Uh, but uh, And then you get confused, which is another thing that kind of bonds us to Peter, right? Because he's like, I don't know what to do. Let's build temples for everybody. And, and we're like, yeah, I probably would have done that too, you know, uh, because we're like Peter, you know. Uh, we wouldn't have been more studious and say, the other guys can have their own space, but only Jesus. You know, we would have been more like Peter. Let's worship everybody, you know. And so, uh, but his heart was in the right place. He was... 
he knew that he was responsible to do something. Um, too bad he didn't just stay quiet. But he, did, but he gives us something to, the, to attach to, something, someone where we're like, yeah, I would have made that mistake. And so to me, that, I, I find that uh, unique in the Bible because it, it shows the flaws of all the people that God used and, in, and let them use their imperfect methods to produce his perfect plan. Because we're all part of that plan too, right? There's someone that you're going to talk to, have talked to, are talking to, uh, that's going to be sharing and, and uh, getting them started in, in the, uh, the idea of Christianity. And, and maybe they haven't started yet. They, maybe they're just still kicking the tires, right? But, uh, but everything that you do and say is, is part of that. And one day, and I'm using like the analogy of a car buying experience, but one day they're going to they're gonna go to the finance room, right? They're going to say, how much is this car going to cost? And then hopefully you'll be able to be around or maybe someone else to say, nothing but everything. Your very life. And then you live eternally with Jesus. And we get to celebrate with them and be happy. Because I think that's the most important thing, right? Is the uh, change lives. And we'll get to that in just a moment. moment. Peter goes on to say that uh, this word that we have is better than even what he saw and witnessed and, and, and talked about that this is essentially better. You know why? Um, just for instance, can anyone recite to me what um, oh, Leviticus 4, 4 says? Just off your memory. Can anyone look it up in their Bibles and tell me? It's a better thing, right? It's a better thing. And, and Peter's wanting to make sure that, hey, what this is, this is, uh, this is more fully confirmed. Because there's some areas where it was didactic, where God the Father is in heaven and says, write this down, right? And then there's some places where, where we have, they'll say, and thus says the Lord. And then there's some places where Jesus says, hey, the, the Holy Spirit's going to come back and is going to recall to your memory all the things that I've taught so that you'll know what to do and say and write. And then we have some people that go out and they, they're, they're physicians and they're, they're, they're smart and they say, I'm, I put together something accurate. And, and I went and I did all the investigation of all the people that had all the information and I've written it down and even he was inspired and carried along by the Holy Spirit. So we have all kinds of different ways that the Bible was put together. And all of it was authored by God the Father. Something else that we see in verse 21. This book is not of a man's will. There are other books out there. Religious books that are man's will. Because they made them up. And we can see that right. When we look at them, I only named the Dianetics, L. Ron Hubbard, and the Scientology, but I mean, every other one, you know, they're just made up. Uh, the Buddha guy didn't like what the Hindu was saying, and so he came up with his, and the, yeah, I don't know how accurate that is. I'm just kind of, but you know, but I mean, you just kind of make them up. And I mean, I, I, I kind of would have liked to have been a fly on the wall when they were coming up with the Zeus stuff, you know, and, and like Atlas holding the earth. How do you, that's some creativity, right? I know how this earth is here. It's, it's suspended in nothing, but it's being held by a giant man who's also suspended in nothing. I, I just want to, you know, how did you get that? And what, how come there's the guy with the lightning bolts and the dude in the sea? And I don't know, man. You know, it just, uh, it puzzles me. Uh, and, and not that, and I'm not super smart, but I think these were the most intelligent at the time uh, with earth floating on top of a turtle's back on top of an elephant. I mean, that was, people thought that kind of stuff, you know, and it just boggles my mind, you know, and, and I'm like, really? Uh, those kind of things just puzzle me. Now, the idea that the 
sun goes over the earth and all that, hey, I, I think I probably would have thought that too. It seems like it. But the turtle and the elephant thing and all that other kind with the atlas and the gods and Mercury gets letters there because he's like Flash Gordon. I, I don't get all that, right? I'm like, how do you even go there? But these kind of things are written because man, you know, uh, man's will. And, and like, even with Job, there was some stories where the guys were like trying to pin stuff on Job. And Job was like, no, I didn't do this. No, this you can't pin this on me. Right? And, and so, uh, but there's a whole, hey, you didn't do that. And this is, the Nile God has sealed up your womb and is making private talks with Aphrodite to see if they can get you back fertile again. People, they agreed with that. And there's still people today that have crystals hanging in there because I paint houses and go around and do this stuff. And so I'll see weird objects over doors. And I mean, pieces of, like old, the Jewish stuff and they'll have like the, uh, the David, the star of David over their door. I've been in several, a couple places to keep out evil energy and, you know, and I, I just, uh, I don't get it. To me, it seems like they're saying Jesus plus something. And for all y'all ladies that just got through studying Colossians, doesn't that kind of really easily ground in there? Jesus plus nothing. I don't need anything else. Uh, if you want to put something up as a reminder, that's fine. But you just don't need things to ward off evil spirits and things like that. It just seems hokey, you know. Um, but we have here, so the Bible, uh, what we do have is in a great amount of evidence that's behind the Bible, right? Uh, so let's look at just some of the evidence and, and uh, we'll start kind of wrapping it up a little bit. Uh, a great evidence of believing in the Bible, right, that... That, that we see here that this is evidently kind of the way that Peter's going. He's wanting to prove that, that what we're telling you, what we've made known, is not cleverly devised. There's, there's some ideas that, that we're going to tell you that these are true, these make sense. And so, uh, so for us, when we're having conversations with those on the street, we can, we can talk to them about the resurrection of Christ, right? That's a, that's a pretty good uh, evidence there that, that proves that the, the Bible is true. And we have proof that he appeared in front of all of these people. Um, and the, one of the best proofs for the resurrection of Christ, the tomb was empty. Uh, the tomb was empty. And, and, and he wasn't there. And it was a guarded tomb. A heavily guarded tomb. By like Green Berets of the day. Or Navy SEALs or Army Rangers, whichever one's your favorite elite group of military people. Put them there in that sentence. But that's, that's who was guarding it. And, uh, and they weren't there. Of course, eyewitness testimony. We kind of talked about that. Uh, the Roman guards that were there is Matthew 27. Uh, the resurrection, um, it was predicted, right? So that, that's some pretty good evidence that, that it was predicted and, and then it occurred. Uh, another one is the uh, transformation of the apostles, right? So on Friday, they're like all dejected and depressed and... Was me, your Savior's dead. Come Monday, they're ready to take on the world, get ate on by an army beast, be killed, martyred, hung, shot, or not shot, but stabbed, you know. So the transformation of the apostles is a big one. Uh, creation itself, right? It had a pretty big deal. Jesus seemed to affirm in creation, didn't he? Which is kind of a good thing because places him there, right, in the book of John. And so, uh, but creation's a pretty big de big deal. Uh, just a while ago, whenever I was talking about the fact that trying to prove that I was born, the easy evidence is because I'm standing here. The reason why we know there's a creator is because we're on a planet. <laughs> Simple. Uh, and then it's fine-tuned complexity. Uh, because everything that we have on this planet seems to be wearing out, right? Getting worse. Our bodies, uh, phones get worse, and then Apple tricks us so we have to get a new one. But, I mean, the things wear out. And so, a universe that's been around this long, um, if it was been around as long as evolutionists say, it would, they seem to think it was wearing better. 
like you're adding shoes to your brake pads or you know it, that doesn't occur it wears out it goes away not that it gets better it goes from uh, from order to chaos and they have chaos coming into order it's just the opposite of the way that we see things occur and so there's a complexity so creation itself lends some credibility of course to the the reasoning and the uh, logical uh, reasoning that we find the bible to be true um Fulfillment of prophecy, right? Uh, historical and um, Israel with Is- Israel and other nations. Um, messianic prophecy. Uh, there was a, a story about a teacher and his students, and, and I'm sure y'all have heard it. And So I only want to read this little part here. Um, and this is called the mathematic possibility. So this man, uh, let's see here, trying to, is... Uh, Well, I'll let y'all read if you want to find out who it is. But here's the story. He and his students wanted to know what the chances were that any one man, in accordance to predictive prophecy, would be born in Bethlehem, preceded by a forerunner, enter Jerusalem as a king riding on a donkey, being betrayed by his friend for 30 pieces of silver, be placed on a trial, and though innocent, make no defense for himself and be crucified. So just eight of them, right? There's over 300 prophecies that are pointing to Christ. But just these eight is all that these students and this math teacher wanted to figure out the probabilities. What is the chance that any man might have lived from the day of these prophecies down to the present time and fulfilled all eight of these predictions? His answer, the chance calculates to one in ten to the 17th power. That's eight of them. Uh, What kind of chances is that? So I'm sure y'all have heard this story attached to other things, but here's the one that it actually goes to, I guess. Uh, Cover the state of Texas with silver dollars to a depth of two feet, then mark one of those silver dollars and drop it somewhere into the pile, stirring thoroughly. Uh, The chance of a blindfolded man choosing the marked silver dollar is equal to the chances of all eight of those prophecies being fulfilled in one man in history. Yet there are not eight but 300 predictions. I think it sounds pretty good, right? I like math in those instances. Any other way, I don't like math. But uh, math in that way, I really enjoy it. Uh, and so whenever we're able to talk to folks and lead them to, uh, to ideas like that, we don't have this kind of faith where we're, I just believe. We, we have reasons to believe. R.C. Sproul wrote a book, uh, so just a little plug. That's a good book. And so... Uh, uh, and a study, by the way, but but there are good reasons to believe, right? And so, uh, and I think we are to be able to explain those to people. Hopefully, you do a better job than what I'm doing. Um, so, imagine here's another idea. Imagine, say, any of those that have children in here. So, we're going to even keep it in the same line, right? Imagine that you start a book, and then 20 or 30 years from now, you have your child add to the book. And then your child's child and your child's child. And you keep on going till let's say, uh, the year 3520. So that's what, 1,500 years from now? Uh, is that book going to be cohesive? I mean, you got the same bloodline running through it. You would think it would be cohesive. But what you would probably find, if you could even imagine it, is probably a disjointed, messed up book with all kinds of odd and different speculations and observations but definitely disjointed yet what do we have with the bible written in 66 installments uh, by over 40 authors over the span of about 1500 to 1600 years the authors were from all kinds of cultural society some rich some poor from kings to peasants Uh, Fishermen, scholars, politicians, philosophers, theologians, shepherds, farmers, and rabbis. They wrote in places like deserts, mountains, prisons, palaces, islands, and tents. Three different languages, Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek. Three different continents, Europe, Asia, and Africa. Yet all this fits wonderfully together in one cohesive story with a consistent theme and a central character that it all revolves. Would your book be like that? I don't think so. Right? 
Yet this book is, right? This book is like that. Um, and, and so is it reliable? What, what do we have in that kind of information? So um, if you look at the uh, Julius Caesar and the Gallic Wars, uh, we have nine or ten copies of those. And from the time of the event uh, to the copy that we have, there's a thousand year difference, right? Uh, and then with Plato, uh, there, we have seven copies. And between the time of his, his uh, when he lived to the nearest copy we have, there's 1,200 years difference. 1,200 years. And then, uh, I hope I say this right, we looked up the phonetic pronunciation of it last night. Uh, Thucydides, Thucydides, all right. So Doug might have heard of him. He had something to do with the Hippocratic Oath. And uh, also military colleges still use some of his writing. And, uh, and he was in the intertestamental period, somewhere around, around 400 of, 460 to 400 uh, B.C. And uh, he wrote about the Peloponnesian War and all of that. Eight copies of his writings from that time period uh, or that were originated in that time period. And the copies we have are 1,300 years separated. Uh, so you think, and, and we all believe these things, right? We believe them as accurate accounts of truth. Caesar's Gaelic Wars, we, we don't have any veracity. True. We believe Caesar was here and the things that he'd done written down. We agree. Plato, same thing. Uh, the other guy, the same thing. I'm not going to press my luck by saying it once. Uh, and he was viewed as a first-rate historian. The New Testament, though, uh, here's the difference. We have over 5,000 copies. Over 5,000. I think the number is actually getting close to uh, 6,000 now. But we have, I can say concretely, we have at least 5,000 uh, copies. That we can date them within decades of the event. Right? I mean, within decades, if you think about it, the book of Acts, which is the sequel to Luke, that Luke wrote both of those. And so, um, but in the book of Acts, he does not include anything about the death of Paul. And so the death of Paul, we know somewhere around 63 to 65, probably 64. Uh, so that book was written and completed before that occurred, because had it occurred in the book, I think Luke probably would have wrote that. Uh, and so then we have that. And Luke actually is before that, right? Because Acts is part two. And so you have Luke before that, and then Mark, everybody believes, is before that. So you're talking early on, late 40s, 50s, somewhere in there. Jesus was put on the cross between, what, 30 and 33 AD. You know, a lot of people argue some uh, go up to uh, 36, depending on when they place his birth. But we're, but these other guys are a thousand years, 700 years, 1300 years. We're talking about decades within a hundred years easily right but yet people question the truthfulness of the bible and if it's reliable and it's not even close it's not even the same ballpark i mean the the bible has so much information then we have uh, archaeology i'll just talk about quickly these silver scrolls that were found in 1979 numbers six is found in there and it's the oldest known fragment known to man it's like 2,600 years old or something like that. Hezekiah's Tunnel, uh, archaeology found that, 1838, Edward Robinson. Uh, it confirms 2 Kings 2020. Uh, and then we have the House of David. Uh, there's a monument inscribed that. In 1993, there was a discovery of these ruins in northern, northern Israel. Uh, and then we have uh, Caiaphas. There was a tomb marked with the family name in 1990. Uh, you can look up these other things in uh, archaeology. The patriarchs, the exodus, the conquest at Hazor, uh, the clay seal of Gomorrah, Capernaum, uh, and then something that was recently found in, in 1986, what they're calling the Jesus boat. We have things in history that are, that are being found by archaeology all the time. Um, and then I'll finish with this because I think it's the most important when we're talking to another human being looking in their eyes. And this is where I'll talk a little bit about Isaiah 58 and the experience yesterday. is because this is the experience that proves somewhat the veracity, I think, of the Bible. Um, now, Vody Bauckham said you can't just say, I tried the Bible and it works for me. You can't just say that. But you can also say that, right? Because he finished up his sermon and said, and by the way, I tried the Bible, it worked for me. And then he walked off. But, uh, so... For those of us that are using the Bible on a daily basis, 
Uh, as I shared last week, the part about the trial in that passage that I thought I chose to preach on that really was like weeks before my wife got hurt and we took her to, I pressed into that passage because I had nothing else and it was sufficient. You know what I mean? That That's pretty incredible. Um, and, and I've done that times in the past and it was almost like with smaller things. Uh, never once did I think that I was even close to losing my precious, you know, uh, in any of these other events that occurred. But it almost seems like it was making my faith stronger each time. I've read that somewhere, right? And so, so that kind of occurred. So the experience, the change lives. When you see the word of God and it changes someone's lives, what an evidence is that, right? Um, with Isaiah 58, I know a lot of you in here made food for those guys. And let me tell you, that stuff went down scrumptiously fast. And I didn't eat any of the side fixings. I just ate some of the brisket and the, the, uh, the, the meat that we, we smoked. But uh, whoever made the potato salad, went. It, that was like uh, so, I mean, they loved it. Uh, here's guys that are used to using people to get whatever they want. And the Bible is changing their lives. Uh, they're being thankful for these things. These men had joy in their eyes whenever they were taking my little boy on their little carts and things for, for rides and showing things on their property. This one guy, as soon as we got there, uh, so y'all be in prayer for all these guys. And I won't mention any of them by name because it is a quasi-anonymous thing. But he's like, hey, Chad, can I take him on the tractor? Samuel, of course, is like, ah, you know, and so I'm like, yeah, sure. So he takes him over and shows him these pigs. He's proud of these pigs. He's been feeding these pigs. He's caring after these pigs. I've talked to him before. He's never cared for anything else in his life. Like he does these chickens and these pigs. He's proud of them. And he loves Jesus Christ. And he loves telling people about the Bible. And we have y'all guys who just hear via an email a way that you can help. And the desserts and the side dishes and all of that. It was just overwhelming. And I, I got tired of saying, you're welcome, you're welcome, you're welcome, you're welcome. I didn't really get tired of it. But I mean, it's just, it's like, it's not me, guys. And so what I'll be able to tell them, because tomorrow I'll preach this to them. And I'll change it up a little bit to fit them. And I'll tell them that the reason by, the reason why my church family and I do things like this. Is because normally, used to, in our past, we're pretty selfish. We don't care about other people. At all. And when I mean at all, I mean at all. But what the Bible has done in our lives, because it teaches us about Jesus Christ, when, when we listen to and pay attention to our elders and our pastors, is, and, uh, and we research and we study it ourselves, it cuts us to the heart or it confirms things, right? It either cuts or it confirms. Hopefully it does more confirming than cutting. But sometimes to confirm a thing, it's got to cut, right? And so uh, anyway, but our, our, they do a great job and we pay attention and we listen. And it brings us closer to God, it brings us in touch with prayer more. And so we're constantly seeking those things. But the bottom line is that there's, a, uh, there's an experience that goes with it and it's changed lives. Um, look at me. And then think about you, right? And then we all point to Jesus. All right, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this, uh, this time that we get to gather together. Lord, everyone in here has a ministry. Those that they're talking with, those that they're sharing with. Lord, we pray that you would embolden them as uh, you did for Paul when he was asking for prayer about having boldness to proclaim. Your son, Jesus, Lord, may you do that for us as well. Lord, we know that you work supernaturally. We pray that you would give us the, uh, these reason responses, Lord. Let us, let us look and study and, and search these things out. But Lord, keep us in a prepared way so that we're always ready to give that, that defense for the hope that is in us. Lord, we are responsible to do that. Lord, we just thank you your son has done for us in the coming and the dying on the cross.
cross for our sins. We thank you that you caused us to be born again. Lord, we thank you for this awesome, great mercy that you give to us on a daily basis. Paired with grace. Lord, we just pray that you be with us this week. We go about our lives that we continue to uh, to involve the word of your word in everything that we do. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.